Welcome to the Just Buy My Vote podcast. I am Joseph Simmons, the host and also author of the new book, Just Buy My Vote, African-American Voting Rights in the Chicago Condition. We're going to the south side of Chicago today with the man, the myth, the podcast legend. It is my pleasure to have podcast extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Sims. Welcome to the Just Buy My Vote podcast. Mr. Simmons, thank you. Wait, you talking about you're overselling it, man. <laughs> when, they, when they mention my name, people start cursing, man. You're talking about Joseph Simmons. They like who Mark said, let me tell you about that. Bleak, 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 bleak. Yeah, right. So here we go. So there are several things we could talk about, of course, in the time we have. However, I'd like to start by asking you to address the JBMV avatar. And I'll explain what I mean. In my writing of the book, Just By My Vote, I found myself continually asking, what are the best sources of American history? So please address the JBMV avatar, if you will. He or she is a 20 to 30 year old male or female and interested in history, but for whatever reason was not a history major in school or maybe didn't attend college. He or she is wondering, where do I start? Mr. Mark Sams, what have you found to be your favorite or best sources? Wow. Like you said, I, I didn't, I didn't go to a fine high school like you did back in the day. <laughs> I went to a regular high school, which I, I went, I mean, barely got through and eventually dropped out. You know, if you talk to a kid, I mean, I'm a young person, avatar, whoever, human being, it all depends where you want to go. It all depends. Wait, where, where do you want to go? What's that old line in that? What's that book with the Cheshire cat? What was that called? Alice in Wonderland, right? Mm. Any, any road would take you there if you, you know, if you, if you, if you don't know where you're going, any road would take you there, right? Right. So, I think that's how I, I never read the book, but you know, you know the line. And, but you and got so, some clues about the splintering of black America. No, but I, but I would tell them, where do you want to go? Because as I was talking about going or going or being raised, you know, going through writer, writer elementary school started in 1967, all the way to Finger High School through 1980. I was dumb as a stone in this city, dumb as a stone. The public schools, you know, please forgive me. I'm going to get discursive here. They're not designed for you to think. And so I didn't even begin to read books until my, I think I was in my 30s or late 20s or early 30s when I started reading. I think I don't I think I read one book between 1980 and 1990. Okay. So for yeah, I'm not I'm not a scholar on in any because I hated school and I hated reading, but I did get on a binge in the '90s and read a bunch of books. I can't tell you all of them, and of course, then I get off of. But now it's all video now. But I did go back to the library upon your <laughs> instructions. You, you may be thinking this book, Disintegration. Disintegration is a book written by Eugene Robinson. Eugene Robinson still writes for the. Washington Post to this very day, and his great book, Disintegration, The Splintering of Black America. I still quote from the book, and I have a lot of quotes. I mean, I, I'll get quotes from books and I'll put them in my little word thing about quotes. And uh, this book was good because the America or the black America, if you will, that you and I grew up with on the South Side of Chicago, that's gone. Right. It's never coming back. But this, but the Chicago, we grew up in the 1960s and 70s. It wasn't like that a hundred years before or fifty years before. Things are in constant change, and so when they, when they, that's why you're talking about an avatar who you want to talk. I mean, somebody said, "Well, I, well I'm going to learn." I said, "Where do you want to go? What are you trying to do?" Because during the course of living here, you have the living history of yourself living in whatever town you live in, 
And then you, if you're lucky enough to go to school, if you're lucky enough, you're a reader. I, I mean, I, I like the, the book, A Rage of a Privileged Class by Ellis Coase. I, I like talked about sometime. There's a quote in that book, Ellis Coase from Chicago, from the projects of Chicago. Okay. He said, I, I'm paraphrasing a quote. This is a rape. No, this is a, no, I think this is the end of anchor. The book, the sequel or whatever, the second book from his book, Rage of a Privileged Class or the first book, I think the end of anger was the second book that paired with the first book. I'm sorry. I never, I, I haven't heard the police go through my neighborhood in days now. You're on the south side of Chicago, boy. Oh, oh, I can yeah. tell I, you that. I, I, I think that's the more the ambulance than the police. Who knows? Okay. And so, and so he says, it takes a truly exceptional person to transcend their social environment. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. It's hard to, to get out of it. I'm still sort of stuck in Chicago, which is good and bad, mentally and physically. And it's not a bad thing sometimes because it's hard to transcend your social environment. But sometimes, and going back to the book Disintegration by Eugene Robson, he talks about some African-Americans, are, he calls them the transcendent African-Americans because Eugene Robson, he splits up black. You can look up this, if you email me or send me a Twitter message, I'll send you the video. But the point is that you, you and you, the listeners, and you too, Mr. Simmons, he says four type of African-Americans. You have the transcendent, maybe the Beyonce's and the... Barack Obama's and the Jay-Z's, people that make a ton of money, have a lot of power and influence. They transcended. I'm assuming it means transcending being black. I don't, I'm assuming. And of course, you have the, uh, the immigrant brothers and sisters from the, from the, from the, from the continent. They're from, of course, they're from the Caribbean or the continent of Africa, Nigerians, whatever. They come, I think 10% of the African, the African American group here in Chicago, 10%, yeah. I believe is, is the, wasn't born here. Right. And so, and, and that's all, it's really good. And so that's a different group. Eugene Robson also talks about the race. Mulatto is an old term we don't use anymore. Or we rarely use, okay? But that's an historical context. But ris- mixed-raced African-Americans, like Barack Obama, that he puts them in another group. It's not to separate black people. It's just to, to break down. He calls it, of course, the he fancy word he uses is taxonomy. The taxonomy of the different types of black people. And of course, he talks about the one I like to talk about because I'm here and I, I may be one of them too, a delusional that I'm not one of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. He calls the, the abandoned, okay. the abandoned African Americans who didn't get the education or the good jobs and haven't transcended poverty or working class status or underclass status. And with capitalism, you're going to have that. So I think about half of African Americans are doing pretty well, like, you know, like Americans. Another half is probably paycheck to paycheck. Some who make hundred grand a year, paycheck to paycheck. But we do have this abandoned class, and that's what I like to talk about on my podcast from time to time because because I still live in the old neighborhood. The old neighborhood is disintegrating, right? It's it's, it's disintegrating on many, in many different levels because when I was a kid, the houses I live in living now and the houses here they were brand new houses. Right now they're sixty year old houses, sixty plus year old houses, and it's okay. It's okay. The and and so I like this. I can't, we can't go back to 1975, but my wish as I babble on your show for the next few minutes, my, my whole mission or delusion, whatever, is to see the day that uh, help see the day that no matter af- where African Americans live, especially the low income African Americans, we're not known for crime. There's no crime, no foolishness, no ghettoness, no matter how much money uh, we don't make. Danny K. Davis is from Arkansas, like my dad. Uh, from Arkansas. I don't know when he came to, to Arkansas, but Danny K. Davis, he's a congressman, a big congressman. Wow, he's got to be 81, right. 82 years old. Out on the west side. Oh, they're on the west side. A great guy. I haven't seen him in years, but I need to go see him. And he said, of course, when we were poor, you know, back in the day, 
on the old South and here in Chicago. We were poor. Yes, we were poor. We don't act like we do now. The poor act now. Not all of the poor, just the criminal poor. And so, and that's, and, and that sounds nasty. It sounds paternalistic. But we as African American people, we, we haven't, as a group said, I think we lost the sense of uplifting the race. So when, 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 when you talk about going back to history and, and sources of history, I like where you want to go. I mean, for, for a year, for three years, I was with a study group that studied the teaching of Elijah Muhammad. Elijah Muhammad was for me as a kid and maybe for you, Joseph Simmons, he was, he was the leader of this group that didn't eat pork. <laughs> know what I'm saying? Right. That's what I knew about the Muslim. They didn't eat pork. Like, what do you mean don't eat pork? And, uh, and our family went to the old salon restaurant back in the day on uh, 83rd and Cottage. Familiar. And uh, sure. it was very good. They had maple. All I remember it was maple syrup and beef bacon. Okay. And it was a very tasty breakfast we had that day at the old salon restaurant. Well, hey, listen, I've got a question kind of in line with what what you're talking about there. And I know, you know, you spend time in the neighborhoods and talking about violence and what have you. I got a, a quote here from Mayor Johnson, your mayor of Chicago. And he said that the Democrats should embrace, and I'm quoting, community safety through the lens of getting at the root causes of violence. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't met him yet, and uh, I'm probably going to run into him eventually. He, he's, a, he's a son of a preacher, and so he's a great talker, a great talker, but we'll see how much he gets done. Most mayors are, probably like most presidents are, a mixed bag. Right? They do a few things. They don't do a few things. I don't expect him to move borough, but I hope he, as a black man, we have had a black man mayor in this town in a long time. Right. And most of the crime, we neighborhood crime, I'm talking about murders and crime, neighborhood crime committed by black men. Right. Some old, some young, some not so old and not so young. And so I want him to change that. But to change that, you're going to make people upset. Because you may sound paternalistic when you don't want to say, yo, you people don't know how to act. Well, I'm going to teach you how to act. <laughs> that sounds nasty. You have to be more diplomatic and say, we're going to give your children wraparound services <laughs> so they know how to act. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, because, you know, anybody who's raised children, if you raise children in a city like Chicago, if you're a middle class person, let's face it, you, you distance yourself from that lower class. And sometimes that class is not even income, it's value. It's not about you may have the same income as someone else, or some other family. The household income may be 90 grand a year. You know what I'm saying? Because some people are poor, but it's 10 people or five people living in the house and their household income is a 90, 100 grand, 120 grand in the hood. Right. Household income. Right. You're right. Because you got four people making 25 grand or four people making 50 grand. It's a 200 grand household income. Right. In the hood. And so, but so it's a values thing. And so, and you can call it middle class values. Bourgeois values, but if you're a middle class person, you you uh, you try to you will keep your kids away from that, uh, from other African Americans who don't share your values. I think here in Chicago, African Americans, we we self segregate more than any other race in a lot of different ways. And the schools, a lot of us don't go to the neighborhood school or the neighborhood high school. We we go we and for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, I did I did that with my children for a lot of different reasons. So it's these things are very complex. So if Mayor Johnson is serious about ending crime, it's only a half of the people, a few people on the block, a few people in a square mile radius. There's only a few thousand that keep foolishness up. It's like we went to school back in the day. There was only a few children that kept them, kept mess up in the classroom. Couldn't be quiet when the teacher say shut up, right? Mm -hmm. And that theory goes all around the world. 
those childs could be have a, a learning disability, have a mental disability. They could have come from a stable home, economically stable, spiritually, I mean, economically unstable, spiritually unstable, religiously unstable, whatever the instability is, they had that in reflection in child's behavior. And so that and so we as a, as a country, we, we like to lock up the problem in the prisons, but right. to actually re, really reform people or people, you know, I mean, I don't want to say transcend, but, you know, become different people, better people. We don't do that in this country. We don't do it at all. And we, and there's a lot of, like this woman said on public access years ago, I can't think of a name right now. She says a lot of charity with Joseph Simmons is very little change. There's a lot of people making money off of black, not pathologists, dysfunction, African-American dysfunction, low income African-American dysfunction. Everybody's making a lot of money, but it's very little change. And so we'll see what happens as we, as our population continues to decrease. That may be the only way the crime stops in Chicago as more and more African Americans leave the city of Chicago. <laughs> yeah. And so now you mentioned a couple of interesting things there. I mean, my, my take on it, and that's, you know, cause I don't live in Chicago anymore. My, my belief is, is that a lot of problems can be cured by economics. I believe that a lot of the crime really stems from the fact of if you look at, you know, the lack of money, the lack of net worth in certain areas. And you seem to be suggesting that it's not only that, obviously, it's also values and there's some other things complicating the the scene in terms of creating violence in neighborhoods. Yeah, because you know, demographics has changed this country. I mean, this is a little of my own personal story here. I got rejected from a job today. I shouldn't even talk about it. <laughs> the point is that, and, and I, I'm, I'm in my 60s. I should have been retired with a fat pension, but I made a couple of bad decisions. Here we are. Uh, and, or be an entrepreneur like yourself. I'm too lazy for that. And so there are jobs out there. But are you qualified? I was evidently not qualified for this position. Are you qualified for the job? And of course, we all know a lot of jobs that they, they have background checks. A lot of people just can't pass the background checks because of prior criminality. Either they can't, they haven't had their, their criminal record expunged yet, don't know how to get it expunged. And so I think a lot of the problems, and it goes into crime that lower income African Americans have is because we as a group, we don't network as well as we should for a lot of good reasons. Because if you're trying to do anything, you need mentors, you need counselors, you need therapists, you need, you know, and you know how it was when you know, integration was jumping off when we were kids. But of course, older people, our generation can say it too, but definitely older generation can say it. Everybody lived in the neighborhood, the doctors right. and lawyers, everybody, we all lived in the neighborhood because we had to. Right. And once we could move away, all, I think right now, this is the root, I was watching something on video, root TV, a root website, whatever. They said, I think half of all Americans, live in integrated neighborhoods. But the other half of African Americans, people like me, live in really racially, not stratified, whatever. Segregated. Concentrated. Segregated. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that, Joseph Simmons. No segregated neighborhoods. I mean, mile after mile of African Americans. And that was really low income African Americans. So a person like Mr. Sims is an old square from the 1970s. I, I told somebody, they wrote an article about me, Joseph Simmons on the Chicago Tribune in I think 2014. 2014. And I was, this is when I was a limo driver and some of my professional European American customers, they said, wow, they wrote that great article about you in the Tribune, Mr. Sam. They, you must be a pillar in your community. I say, no way. No. What I do is so square. If you're a lower income or have an African American with different values, you think what I do is square. Just being a square dad 
where the wife makes more money, is more educated, like a lot of men and black men and men in general, their wife, their spouse, their partner makes more money and more educated than they are. And then you're, you're and you work that out with, with the spouse or partner. And then, of course, you just try to be the best dad possible by being present as possible, right. whether you live with your children or not. That's square and, you know, that's square, you know, what I'm saying, because if I made a lot of money, if I could sing and dance, that's really held in high esteem in some neighborhoods in the city of Chicago, probably all over the country. But if you're just a nice square person that goes to work every day and take care of your children and be present for them and be present for your wife, spouse and whatever partner you have, that's not that's not allotted in my neighborhood. It really is. OK, <laughs> right. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but it really isn't because there's so many different type of black people. And so people think you have to be this type of black person and or you have to be a black person like me. And so if you're not a, ne- a black person, you don't like me saying the N word, but if you're not a black person like African-American like me, you're not African-American. You're something else. And in fact, what, what, one of the things that spawned this book, Disintegration, I think it spawned the book, inspired the book, or one of the things he talks about briefly in the book is that in 2007, I still print this stuff on social media, Joseph Simmons. In 2000, I know it's kind of old, but it's so, it's interesting. Two, look it up, you look up NPR, 2007, Pew Research Study said that African-Americans cannot, do not see themselves as a single race anymore. And the point is that they have these values of the ones that's got a good education, or got a skill, got a training, and they did pretty good. They're making over 50 grand, over 100 grand. They're doing well. The other folks, whatever, mainly men, don't want to work, which I understand. <laughs> and don't want to get a skill, which I never done, <laughs> did. And I understand that. So And so... And you've distanced yourself from the, like somebody told me, a very bourgeois black man. He's a nice guy, but he's bougie. And, and I had a bad way. He said, Mark, you had a, you don't associate yourself with those kind of people. Mm-hmm. And he's right. You don't because you have nothing in common. It's like me. I'm not, and personally, I'm not into black culture as much as people think because I just don't. Because like Professor Henry Louis Gates says, Somebody, some some black folks may disagree with him because he's problematic for a lot of different reasons. But I, but his scholarship is solid. His, Professor Henry Little Gates said, "There's forty Gates said on C-SPAN, there's forty two million black people in this country. That means there's forty two million ways to be black, and don't let a black person bully you on how to be black. And so, if if Brandon Johnson want to stop stop the crime, and it's mainly an African American problem." And it's for us, it's more culturally because we don't have the networks and they have studies about this. We don't have the network and networks that we should have. If you, if you were part of the sorority, that's your network fraternity. That's your network, the church, Eastern Star, Masons. That's your network. But beyond some of that or the local barbershop, what is your network? Okay. How do we ne- how do we network? Perfect. And, and I, I know that. See, and I'm talking as an old person now, anybody's younger, because as a kid, Dr. King was was a. Um, Assassinated when I was in kindergarten, so I've, I've got a we got a whiff of the old, the, what's left of the civil rights movement and the Black Power movement, and we had a sense of uplifting the race. I think the sense of uplifting the race as a group has left the door, left the train station a long. It said that boat sailed a long time ago, which right is on. quite sad. And I and I don't think we, I don't think we're ever gonna get it back, which is you know, which is okay. But it goes back to uh, Eugene Robinson's. A book about disintegration. What about that abandoned class of African Americans? Is that group still going to be in the bottom, quote unquote, whatever that means, the bottom 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now? 
Whether right. it could be a small group, all the all those poor black people are still poor and black, and they're still the underclass. Are we gonna have that discussion twenty, forty, fifty years from now? Right. Hey, Mark Sims, tell me a little bit about your podcasts. Uh, I got two podcasts. My one podcast is just a few, just a few questions. Just type in Mark Sims, just a few questions. And the other one is 400 plus. African Americans have been here for 400, over 400 years. Get it? Ah, 400 plus. Okay. Because right. I had my first podcast was just two, just a few questions. And some African Americans got, some African Americans got mad at me because I was interviewing people like Paul Vallis, who ran the schools here in Chicago. Or Arnie Duncan, they were both thinking about running for mayor. So I got lucky, had him on the show. So oh, you're you're interviewing Paul Vallis or Arnie Duncan. So I started doing the, the black. But the point about podcasts, I'm not on my podcast. Just a few questions and 400 plus. I'm not offering anything most people want, especially African Americans, because if you're offering something, it's got to be unique. And so when people see me physically or hear me, you know, if you're trying to offer a product or service, they're like, "Who are you?" What are you? What are you selling? And when you tell them who you are and what you're selling, like, I don't want that. Because <laughs> what I want to see is low-income African-American neighborhoods that are crime-free. We're not killing each other. We, we've learned to trust each other enough to be at least transactional. We don't have to be best buds and buddy, 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 but enough to be transactional. And not and going back to Henry Louis Gates, he said in the same talk in C-SPAN, he said, I tell my uh, my class at Harvard, what is it, Harvard, I think he teaches that. And he says, the point of my class is telling you, it's a black history class. He says, to show you that African-Americans have been arguing about who's black and how to be black ever since we got here. And I still see it. Like I told you the other day, when I lose my tan in a few next month, you know, I'll be going back to being a high yellow Negro. And, <laughs> and, and, and so, so for African-Americans still think that they still make, they still say something. These are grown people. 50, 60 years old who make reference of my skin because it's lighted in a brown paper bag. Well, and I understand other people because the, the, the America that you and I grew up, you just saw a person like Mara Sim as a light skin. Uh, we were black when we were kids, of course, <laughs> before we were Negroes. Now we're African-Americans. But people would see me, especially when I was a limo driver and out about in the airports all over. They say, what are you? Which is totally understandable because all these different peoples of the world weren't here when we were kids. They were here, but there were very few. Now it's a whole bunch of them. So right. I, I'm not offended. Somebody says, you're Puerto Rican. When I was in the um, airport as a limo driver, people come to me all the time speaking Spanish, and I never learned to speak Spanish. So uh, no habla español is all I can say, right. and so, which I understand. And then, of course, th and then, of course, if you're a younger person, you may think Mark Sims. And I'm, when I talk about Mark Sims, I'm talking about African-Americans. People got to say, I'm not talking about I'm ego tripping per se. I'm talking about African American. So when a, a younger person will see me, any American will see me, they'll see me as a mixed race person, right? Right, right, right. And, right. and that's why we have to break this stuff down. Like I always tell people, and I told you before, when you see Sasha and Malia Obama, you will never know that their grand maternal, their grand maternal grandmother is a white woman from Kansas. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, and this is why all of us have to be. That's the one of the worst things in this country. Two bad things in this country right now, as you well know. This is my opinion. Inequality, income inequality, and just flat out ignorance. <laughs> I mean, we just like, we don't, we, we just like, I would like to know Mexicans. Okay. So when did Mexico become Mexico? Right. Or, or they say, I'm Jamaica. Okay. When did Jamaica become Jamaica? We should know at least a brief history of that kind of stuff. I think the British, I think the Jamaicans got the independence, what, in the late 60s, early, late 60s, I believe, right? I don't know the whole history, American imperialism, right? 
African-Americans, well, 80 percent of us have a white bloodline. There's a bunch of white folks in this country who have a black bloodline. And I'm not saying it's and, and we can end our problems with economics, but we have a capitalist system. That capitalistic system had slaves in this country. Pre-America, then the colonies, and of course, America, total 246 years. So they say, so we, and now we have wage slaves. Okay. So we've all, anywhere you go, you want the cheapest labor you possibly can, whether it's at Walmart or McDonald's, anywhere, Amazon these days, you want this cheap, first is slave labor and ginger servitude and just, you know, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, what you call it? The, uh, the national, what you call it, uh, hourly wages, like 725, something pretty different. The minimum wage is something ridiculous. And the city of Chicago, I think it's 15, but some places seven, seven twenty-five, which is insanity. But we have to have a even a curse, a strong cursory knowledge of this country and who are these people and where are they from, and we're all human beings. How do we make this as as this country as this country continues to decline? That we are in a declining empire, and other countries are getting stronger. You see with the BRICS and then the and the Chinese and the China and all that kind of stuff. And so we like we have to understand we can't play this game uh, of uh, fighting each other as a, as a people. And of course we haven't learned it. The Republicans definitely haven't learned it, and they need to grow up and stop it. They need to grow up and stop it. And I think the first way is it's a real good history lesson of who's in America and where are they from. Other well, Mark, indigenous. Mark Sims, you are far more full of wisdom than you let on sometimes. Do me a favor. In the time that we have left, what's one piece of advice you'd offer to your 20-year-old self? I mean, I wrote this down, man. I'm glad you told me earlier. I would get, I would get the 20-year-old Mark Sims a therapist, a guru, a life coach, an academic tutor, and I don't know, man, a few other things because I was crazy as a loon. Looney Tunes as uh, when I was a 20 year old, just crazy. I was a high school dropout. I went back to night school. I think I was, I think I was 24, 24 years old. And I was just working at McDonald's, I think. And I could have had a chance to go to McDonald University and maybe at some point own my own store or be the general manager. But I was such a horrible student in grammar school and high school. The idea of McDonald University, I couldn't handle. And just and I, and I didn't do it. And the rest is history. Even if I just bought stock at McDonald's 43 years ago and, and held on, I still would have had some damn money. But you know what I'm saying? And that, so you're, you're most of most you're, most of us crazy as a loon. But just like they say in the uh, Wizard of Oz movie, I like telling this story all the time. Wizard of Oz movie. They said, uh, Scarecrow Crow told Glenda, how can you even tell Dorothy all this stuff in the first part of the movie? <laughs> and Glenda the Goodwitch said, I ain't tell Dorothy she had the Ruby Simpsons and all that kind of stuff because if I told her, she would not have believed me. And she had to learn it for herself. There you go. And so you can't teach a child wisdom. You can just tell them what, you, what you've gone through, tell, but they have to. You can, you can tell them all you want. You can point them in the right direction, but you just have to learn it for yourself. But I wish I had probably had some sense, got that deg degree a little bit earlier and had a 10 year plan to go to the community college. It took me 10 years to get a community college degree. <laughs> whatever, uh, five or 10 years. But it's, that goes back for us African-Americans. We just don't have the network. I know people tried to help me when I was young. I was stupid. But older black folks are so mean. But I didn't know why they were so mean because they were closer to slavery than I was. Because the slave master was mean and the overseers were mean and their mom and daddy had to be mean and my mom and daddy had to, had to discipline me. And I'm like, what is you old? What is wrong with you old people? But I did not understand it. Guess what? Nor did they. Amen. They don't understand either. I don't, I don't blame them.
Well, listen, this has been a real pleasure for me, Mr. Mark Sims. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing with our listeners today. Thank you, Joseph Simmons. Well, well, we hope you enjoyed that episode of the Just By My Vote podcast. We're looking forward to the next episodes. You can find the book at justbymyvote.com. And feel free to follow us at justbymyvotepodcast.com for notification on upcoming podcasts and events. We thank you for the privilege of your time. And until next time, just by my vote.